Because he is alive, we too are made alive. And uh, we gather today to celebrate that. And we're so, so excited to be able to celebrate that. You know, I got a little secret. If you are uh, new to Southside, maybe you're visiting with us today on Easter Sunday. Um, While the rest of the world acknowledges one Sunday a year that Christians celebrate the resurrection of Jesus we actually celebrate it every Sunday here uh, because we believe not, not only that he's alive uh, on Easter, but he is alive every time we gather and he is alive Monday through Saturday of every week. So we have gathered to celebrate that good news uh, that the grave has been defeated. Actually, uh, for those of you who keep track of such things, there's an odd thing about our calendar. Easter kind of moves around and um, it has not fallen on April Fool's Day in 56 years. Uh, 56 years, I think that's right. No, 62 years has not fallen since 1956 was the last time Easter fell on April Fool's Day. And I've had several of you ask me, well, are you going to have a good joke Uh, for April Fool's Day, and those of you who know me well know I don't know any good jokes. Just ask my kids. Don't know any. But I will say, I will say that on that first Easter morning, all those many years ago, uh, death was proven to be a fool, and sin was defeated as Jesus was alive, that it could not hold him. And so we are so excited today to gather and to celebrate uh, what God has done through Jesus Christ and his victory over sin, death, and the grave. And I thought, what a better way to start an Easter Sunday message that happens to fall on April Fool's Day than by using an illustration from politics. I thought that might be appropriate for us today. So we're going to play a little game, and I promise you this, this will relate to what we're talking about today, but I'm going to need your help for the next few minutes uh, to participate in this because we're going to do a little, a little campaign slogan trivia, okay? So in the 2016 presidential election, uh, which produced our president, current president Donald Trump, who can remember the president's campaign slogan? Just say it out. Make America Great Again. Very good, very good. Now, he was running against uh, former Secretary of State Hillary Rodham Clinton. Who can remember her campaign slogan? Okay, let me help you out. Let me help. She actually, she actually had two. She actually had two. One was I'm with her, and the other was Stronger Together. Now, let's back up four years before that and go to 2012. Who can remember President Barack Obama's campaign slogan? Hope, yeah, what, you remember? Yeah, he had a couple of them, but that's right, you guys have got it right. Uh, hope and change, yes we can, Ford. So this whole idea, hope and change, you remember the iconic poster that had the word hope on it, and that was his big campaign slogan. Now, who can remember Governor Mitt Romney's campaign slogan? Anybody. Let me help you out. Believe in America. Let's go back 2008. President Barack Obama's campaign slogan, Hope and Change. We all remember, we've already said that. Who can remember Senator John McCain's campaign slogan? Country first. That was his campaign slogan in 2008, country first. Now, like, uh, like anything else that we deal with, when we talk about politics or we talk about any kind of marketing, um, People have researched this, they've studied this, politicians, political pundits, uh, people who study uh, public relations have all determined that the presidential candidate with the clearest, most concise, most memorable campaign slogan almost always wins. So candidates spend millions of dollars to craft a two or three word phrase for their campaign slogan. That's how important it is. It's not just about politics. It also relates to marketing for companies as well. How many of you know 
Walmart's uh, slogan. Anybody know? Yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's make sure I get this right. It's save more, live better. Sound familiar? Now, who can remember Kmart's? Not blue light special, <laughs> but good guess. Right here, right now. Here's the point. He who has the most memorable, clear campaign slogan, marketing strategy, is usually the one who wins. Now, why is that important for us on Easter Sunday of all days? Because I believe the church has often over overcomplicated the message of the gospel. You may have trouble knowing what actually the church believes and what the church stands for. For some, maybe we think that it's politics. Democrats versus Republicans, conservatives versus liberal, Trump versus everybody else. Yeah, what, what, what does the church stand for when it comes to, to, to what we believe? And, and there's a lot of messages about politics. Maybe, maybe the, the message has been obscured by issues of faith versus science, creationism versus evolution, and, and what does it mean to be a person of faith and what does it mean to be a person of science? Maybe it's about the culture wars and something about race or social issues or, or moral issues. Now, please understand, all these issues are important. All these things are important, and the church has something significant to say about all of them. But many times the church has been bolder about these issues than it has been about the core message and mission of the gospel. And so, for some, people feel like they, if they don't vote a certain way or they don't hold to a certain particular political party, they won't be welcomed in church or they can't share the core message of what we believe in church. Or people of science or, other, uh, or others from the world of academia may feel like if they don't check their brain in at the door in order to be considered people of faith, they're not welcome. Or people who don't look like the majority of us in this room or who speak our language or share our cultural values or norms are left outside of the doors of the church or more importantly, they're left outside of the doors of faith. Because the message can sometimes be very, very murky about what does the church stand for, what does the church actually believe, what is the most important thing. But you need to know it wasn't always this way. In fact, if you go back to even before the church began, the person who announced the way for Jesus, his older cousin, John the Baptist, had a very simple and clear message, and the message was this, repent for the kingdom of God is near. Now, what that basically meant was that we, he recognized that everybody, all humans, had a common problem. And that common problem was sin. But God's kingdom was coming nearer. And, and we had to get ready for the arrival of the kingdom. And then Jesus, his cousin, showed up. And Jesus' message was very, very simple. It was the kingdom of God is here. That he said, I have come and I am bringing God's kingdom. I am ushering God's kingdom into earth. Heaven is invading earth. And then Peter, Jesus' disciple, began to preach a very simple message. And the message was this. Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. You killed him. God raised him from the dead. Believe in Jesus. Very simple message. And the apostle Paul, the greatest church planter the world has ever known, one who had went from being somebody who persecuted the church and tried to, tried to stamp out its message to being the greatest advocate for the gospel, had a very singular mission, a very simple, simple message. And this morning on Easter Sunday, I'd like us to look at this message that Paul had for the church, a message that he said was of first importance. So if you have a Bible, I invite you to open to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15, there are Bibles in front of you. If you don't own a Bible at home, there should be some 
uh, Bibles on the ends of the pews, and we'd love for you to take those as our gift to you this morning. We're also going to put these verses on the screen as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, this is a letter that Paul wrote to a group of new believers in the city of Corinth. So this was written hundreds and thousands of years ago uh, as the message of Easter Sunday, that first Easter Sunday began to spread across the world, people began to gather in homes and they began to organize themselves and the church was born. And Paul would write letters to these groups of people. They would be a small group, maybe 15, 20, 30 people meeting in a home or in a couple homes. And so Paul was writing this letter back to these new believers. They didn't have the Bible, they didn't have a lot of the resources we have, and so they were dependent on these letters from Paul and the other apostles to understand the teachings of Jesus and what they were believing. And this is what Paul said to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you. So he, he's saying, I want you to remember, this is the gospel, the good news. That's all that means. This was the good news that I shared with you, which you received... In which you stand and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preach to you. Unless you believed in vain. So he's saying basically I came to you and I preached this message. You received it and you are standing in it and it is saving you. So this is a significant message. It's an important message. He's saying this is the thing I came and I preached to you. You heard me say it. You welcome the message, you're living in it, and it is saving you. It is changing you. Verse 3, for I delivered to you of first importance what I also received. So two things he's saying in this verse. First of all, that he also received this message. This was not just something that he came and he pawned off on somebody else. This was something that he also believed. This was a message that was also changing his life. But what he's saying more significantly than that is that this is the message of first importance. This is the message that has priority over everything else. Come on, Paul. What is it? Maybe it's it's that we we need to pray to God for a political deliverer who can come and kick out the Romans. So that we can finally be free to worship the way we want to free, be, we want to worship. So, so may, Paul, maybe the message is that we need we need to get the right politicians in Rome. Maybe the message was, well, we just need to begin to teach the right things when it comes to all the all the elements of the Old Testament. We need to make sure we have it right theologically from from beginning to end, and we know the Ten Commandments, and we've got those posted in every school. Maybe that's the message of first importance. Maybe the message of first importance has to do with the moral uh, the the moral inertia that's experienced in the Roman Empire. That we just need to get people living right. We need to we need to deal with with their sin, and we need to confront them with the lifestyle choices and we need to clean that up maybe that's the message of first importance what is the message of first importance Paul and Paul says that Christ died for our sin in accordance with the scripture that he was raised that that he was buried that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture this is the message of first importance let me summarize it for you first Jesus died second he was buried third he was raised to life on the third day That is the message of first importance. And all of this was according to the scripture. The the people had had the Old Testament for hundreds and hundreds of years. But when you read the Old Testament and you get to the end of the Old Testament, it's unresolved. It's unfinished. There's a promise for 
for a deliverer to come, for a Messiah who will come and save the people. But there is no Messiah by the end of the Old Testament. And so what Paul is saying, that according to the scriptures, this is the message that finishes the story. This is the message that brings everything to culmination. And here's what you need to know, because I know some of you are here today, and, and maybe Easter is part of your normal routine, you come with family, but you've got questions and doubts in your own heart and in your own mind about the Easter story. It's okay. In fact, we all have had questions and doubts. And you need to know that even people in the first century who were hearing the story had questions and doubts. And Paul understood that they had questions and doubts because this is a fantastic story. That God himself would come and take on flesh, that he would live among us a perfect life, that, that he would willingly die a sacrificial death to pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind, and that three days later, God would raise him from the dead. This is not an ordinary event. This is pretty fantastic. This is supernatural. And so Paul understood that the people he was sharing this message with would have trouble believing it. Just like 2,000 years later, many of us may have trouble believing it as well. And so he didn't expect the people to believe it just because, quote unquote, the Bible said so. Because in fact, they didn't even have the New Testament. Many of them didn't even have the Old Testament because there was no such thing as a printing press. So Paul couldn't appeal to the authority of Scripture to say, you ought to believe this because it's in the Bible. Instead, he offered people real proof and evidence that the events that they had heard about actually happened. Look, look at verse 5 through 7 with me. And that Jesus appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Now, we read this today, and it's written in our Bible, and we think, well, that's just something else the Bible says. But I want you for just a minute, I, I want you to think on an early Easter morning, and I know that may be hard, some of you didn't have enough coffee yet today, but, but I want you to think with me for a minute, put yourself in the position of these early, early believers who are in the city of Corinth getting this letter from the Apostle Paul. This wasn't the Bible for them. This was the letter of a man who was writing to them reinforcing the message that he said was of first importance. And listen to the evidence that he gives. First of all, he says, Peter and the disciples, all the apostles, saw Jesus after the resurrection. Now, why that is so important for us to understand is because you need to know that the, 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 the advantage we have in history is that we can look back on events that Paul didn't know at the time. And what Paul didn't know at the time is every one of those disciples, every one of Jesus' followers, were going to die not for something that they believed was true because they had been taught it from the Bible, but they were willing to die because of something they saw. They were willing to die rather than to deny the facts of the events that they experienced themselves. Now, I don't know about you, but, but if I were trying to participate in a lie and I were colluding with a bunch of other people to try to fabricate some fantastic story, about a man who had lived and taught, been crucified, and three days later, let's just tell everybody that he came back to life. Let's steal the body and tell everybody that he came back to life. If I were a part of a group of, say, 15 or 20 people who were making that story up, when the persecution starts coming and they start threatening my family and they start threatening my life, guess what? If that's a lie, I'm going to fold like a cheap sheet. How about you? Right? 
I mean, and even, if, even if you have the courage to die for a lie, do you think that all 15 or 20 of us would be willing to die for a lie? Not very likely. And yet every single one of these men, every single one of these people died rather than deny something that they saw. That they saw Jesus was alive. But there's more evidence than just that. He mentions another person. He mentions at the end, James. Now what you need to know about James is that James was the brother of Jesus. And like Jesus' other siblings, and even like Jesus' mother, they had, there were times in Jesus' ministry that they doubted that Jesus was who he said he was. In fact, the Gospels tell us that they tried to have Jesus put away quietly. Because a sane person doesn't say the things that Jesus said. In fact, if you're here today and you think to yourself, well, Jesus is just another good moral teacher, a good philosopher... You need to understand, good moral people don't say the kind of things that Jesus said. Jesus doesn't leave us that option for himself. He was either a liar, or he was crazy, or he was who he said he was. And Jesus' own family thought that maybe he was crazy. James never believed what Jesus was saying about himself until. Until something changed James' mind. And that was that he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And James went from being somebody who denied the things that Jesus was saying about himself to being somebody who believed. Why? Not because of something he came to believe that was taught to him from Scripture, but because of something that he saw. He saw Jesus alive after he knew that he had been crucified by the Romans. But there's even more evidence than that. Paul says there were 500 other people Now, I want you to think again. We've got the advantage of history, and I want you to just in your mind consider the fact that Paul wrote this letter 22 years after the resurrection. So it is 2018. It it would be like Paul was writing about something, an event that happened in 1995, just to give you a little perspective. I know not all of you were alive, but many of you were, right? 22 years ago, This event happened, and Paul is writing about it. There were people who lived. He said 500 people, at least 500 people in the city of Jerusalem, who witnessed and saw the resurrected Jesus. And Paul says, listen, guys, it's only 22 years later. A lot of those people are still alive. If you don't believe what I'm telling you, go to the city of Jerusalem, and it won't take you long to find somebody in that city who was alive and saw the resurrected Jesus. Now, I just ask you, if Paul was part of the collusion to make up the story of the resurrection of Jesus, why would he have issued an invitation to people that he was trying to convince of the truth of this message to go to a city and find eyewitnesses unless there were eyewitnesses? This is the message of first importance. Listen to what he says in verse 8. Last of all, as to one ultimately born, He appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that was in me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach and so you believe. Paul said, listen, there's one more witness, and that's me. My life has been changed. 
I went from being somebody who persecuted the church, who was trying to stamp out the message of the gospel. I went from being that guy, Pharisee among Pharisees. Paul was probably destined to be the chief priest if he had continued on his career trajectory. And instead he set all of that aside. Why? Because he had been convinced to participate in a lie? No. Because he had an encounter with the resurrected Jesus. Something happened. Paul didn't just come to believe something. He came to know something based on what he saw and experienced. Now, here's why this is so important for us on Easter Sunday. And I want to talk to two groups of you. To to those of you who are believers, and, and you hear this story regularly, not just on Easter, but you hear the message of the story of Jesus and his resurrection on a regular basis. Listen to me, fellow Christians, fellow Jesus followers. Please hear this. Do not overcomplicate the message of the gospel with lesser things. We have got to focus on that which is of first importance, and that is that Jesus lived, that he died, was buried, and three days later God raised him from the dead, and that changes everything. Everything else is of secondary importance importance compared to that central message of the gospel at Southside Baptist Church we have unity around that belief we have unity around our essential beliefs that we proclaim that Jesus is alive that he is the son of God that he died for our sins that if we put faith our faith and trust in him that he can bring life to us and that God raised him from the dead and so he will raise us that's our message of first importance and we have unity around that And there are lots of secondary beliefs. And we don't all believe the same thing about those secondary beliefs. But in in our non-essential beliefs, we have liberty. That we have the freedom to seek after God in his word. And and to, to, to live in a community of faith where we may not always agree about secondary or lesser important issues. But finally, in all things, we show charity. Whether you believe in the message of the gospel, whether you believe in Jesus or not, we want to love you the way God demonstrated love for us. And so we have got to focus on the core message, the message of first importance that Paul lined out for us. Now, if you're here, and maybe you don't know if you believe, maybe you doubt, maybe you're not sure, maybe honestly you've just never thought about it. I mean, you've heard the Easter story, uh, and, and maybe you rank it up there with other Fabulous, fantastic stories, fables, even myths. I don't know what you think about it, but if you're here and that defines you today, listen, you may not always be able to hear a simple message of the gospel in the church for all the extraneous noise that sometimes we produce. Maybe for you, you've been confused by the message of the church because there are so many other things. Important things, yes, but not the most important thing. And so maybe you've never heard the message of the gospel in its most clear and simple form. And for that, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But here it is. We've all sinned. And instinctively, you know that's true. Because even if you don't hold to the moral teachings of the Bible, you haven't even been able to live up to your own moral standards, let alone God's moral standards. And so you know that you've fallen short. And you're in good company because all of us have. Those of us who are Christians, we don't believe we're better than you. We just believe that God has forgiven us of our sins. 
We've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's holiness and his glory. It's created a gap between us and God. And there is no effort that we can exert that can close the gap. There's nothing I can do to overcome the gulf that my sin has created between me and God. So here's what we do as humans. We begin religions. And religion is man's attempt to overcome the gap. Religion is man's attempt by our own effort, by our own good works, by our own religious activity to overcome the gap that our sin has created to God. The problem is we can never overcome it no matter how religious we are, no matter how good we are, no matter how many times we come to church. The fact that you showed up at an 8.30 service on Easter Sunday morning will not save you from the separation that you are experiencing from God. But here's what we know and believe, that God took it upon himself to span the gap. That he came and lived among us. That he took on flesh. We called him Jesus. That he demonstrated for us what it means to live a truly, fully human, alive life. What life was intended to be in Christ. He showed us that. And we killed him. But he died willingly. That God himself suffered the penalty for our sin on the cross. And then he was buried. And here is what you need to understand. This is why the message of Easter is of first importance. This is why it is so critical. Because none of that other stuff can be true unless Jesus was raised from the dead. You see, any lunatic can say that they're God in flesh. Many crazy people have said that, actually. Any person, any deranged person can say, my death is going to pay for the sins of the world. And literally thousands of people died by Roman crucifixion. What makes Jesus different than any of them? Here's what makes him different. Is that he was buried and on the third day God raised him from the dead. And so we know that the message of the gospel is true. That our sins can be forgiven. The gap can be closed. And we can have peace with God. This is why Paul goes on to say, listen to what he says in verse 12 and through 14. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some, some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And listen to this. This is why this message is so critical. Why it is so important. And if Christ has not been raised then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. You see, if Jesus is not raised from the dead, all of this is a waste of time. It was a waste of your energy to get up and come to church this morning because there is no religious activity that you can perform that can overcome the gap that your sin has created between you and God. But Jesus, through his death on the cross, has made a way for you to have peace with God. And you can have confidence that this message is true because three days later, the tomb was empty. And if you will accept the invitation that God has extended to you through Jesus and put your faith and trust in him, you don't have to worry anymore about the gulf of separation between you and God because Christ, Christ himself, has become the sacrifice He has made a way 
for you to be united with God. Not just in eternity someday. That's a a great hope for the future. But he has offered you a full and abundant life right here, right now. Some of you, some of you need hope. Some of you are going through circumstances and situations that I, I can't even begin to comprehend. And you're not sure you have reached the end of yourself and all your effort. And so you're trapped in sin. Maybe it's a secret sin and nobody, even else, nobody else even knows about it. Maybe for you it's, it's some addiction and you can't even break it. Maybe for you it's, it's a relationship that is collapsing all around you. Maybe there is just a deep sense of despair. What is it all about? What does this even mean? I just invite you. I would invite you to put your faith and confidence in Jesus Christ. To trust the message of the power of the resurrection and the life that is available there. And maybe that's a step too far for you today. Will you do this? Will you just read the Gospel of John? Just find a Bible. Take one with you today. Read the Gospel of John over the next few weeks. Maybe for some of you, you need need more than just to, to read that on your own. We'd invite you to join us beginning on April 15th, come at 9.30. We're going to have breakfast, and we're going to start a, a new group, uh, a starting point group. It's, a, it's about an 11-week class. We're going to have Discovering Southside that first week and then starting point. And it's a place where you can ask questions about your faith. Every, no question is off the table. You can ask any question you want. It's just an opportunity for you to explore. Is it true? And here's the thing. If this message is so incredible, what if it were true? Wouldn't it be worth you taking a few days, a few weeks to just explore? Because if it's true, it could radically change your life. And I can tell you that because it's radically changed mine and it's radically changed so many of ours. I'm going to invite you to bow your heads as we pray together. And as your heads are bowed, the musicians are going to come back up and they're going to lead us in a closing song in just a moment. But before they do, I, 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 want, you, I want you to understand that this invitation is not just an invitation to become religious. It's not just an invitation to say, I believe a book, or I believe a particular theology. It's an invitation to put your faith and hope in a person, in Jesus. That he loved you so much that he would die for you. For the world, yes, but but also for you. And that if you will accept his gift of life, if you will will put your faith in the power of the resurrection, you can be saved. That's the message of first importance. So with your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just invite you in the stillness of your own heart to pray with me this prayer. Father, we come to you today so grateful for the message of the gospel, the good news that Jesus came to save us, that he died for our sins, that he was buried and that on the third day you raised him from the dead. And Father, I confess to you that he died for my sins. I confess to you that I am a sinner and I thank you for Jesus' sacrifice on my behalf. I believe I hope, I long for the power of the resurrection. 
thank you for raising Jesus from the dead to give me that hope. And I commit my life to following after him today and every day. Lord, we thank you that you didn't call us to be religious, that you didn't call us to just come to church and participate in rituals. Father, that you invited us on a journey of faith with your son, Jesus. Lord, help us as we seek to walk that journey step by step. And for anybody who's here today, who for the very first time, even as timid and as shy and as uncertain and as doubt-filled as they may be, have reached out to you with just a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of belief in the resurrection, thank you that that is enough to save us. And Lord, I pray that as your church, Southside Baptist Church and City Church and Southside Corinth Church and South Jacks Presbyterian and Hendricks Avenue and Southside United Methodist and every church that preaches the gospel around the world, that we would return to the message of first importance because that is the only message that can change the world because it's the only message that can change us. We pray this in the powerful name of the one who lived, who died, was buried, and was raised again, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.